Wow, what a great song to sing before we start to look at God's word together. Be thou my vision. Well, I am Derek Joseph. I am the, oops, guy who breaks stuff on stage. I'm the pastoral intern here at Zionsville Fellowship, um, and I will be explaining Mark 2, 13 through 3, 6 this morning. And that is Mark 2, 13 through 3, 6. It's on page 837 on the Bibles under the seats in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of those under the seat and follow along if you want. If you grab a book and you open it and there's musical notes, that's a hymnal. That's not a Bible. Grab the other, grab the other book. Um, if, you, uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one to read on your own, feel free to take that as our gift to you. Um, if you don't have a hymnal, I don't know if I have the authority to offer those, but you know. Anyway, so Mark 2, 13 to 3, 6 is really about four things Jesus did that got him killed. It's four things Jesus did that led to his death. And we know this from the very end of the text. It says this, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. That's the conclusion to the text, but why is this text here outside of, well, just being history and just being true? Well, for two reasons. First, it shows us the character of Jesus. It, It shows us how he chose to suffer death to give life to all of his disciples, It shows us Jesus' dedication to save every unholy person who just comes to him for eternal life. Even me, even you, if you trust Jesus. There's a second reason this passage is here, too. Um, One of the themes that goes through Mark is the idea of following Jesus or being a disciple of Jesus. And and this passage shows us four things that Jesus did, and in showing us those four things, it has implications for what it might mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And so those are the two reasons why this text is here. It's to show us Jesus and to help us understand what it might mean to follow Jesus. So, for those of us in this room already who are disciples of Jesus, this, this text is here to encourage us to persevere in following him. And, and for those of you in this room who aren't yet disciples of Jesus or aren't yet sure where you stand with him, for, for you, this text is about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And so I just encourage you this morning, you're in the right place Listen, learn, and maybe even as as you're hearing God's word this morning, be ready to make a few decisions. This text is really long, so I'm going to read it as I explain it rather than just reading it all at the outset. But first, I'm going to ask God for help, and then we'll get started looking at these four things that Jesus did that got him killed. Pray with me if you would. Holy, holy, holy God, you ordained the death of your Son, for our life. Help us to love him and enjoy him and follow him. And it's because he justifies sinners that we can pray. Amen. All right, well, let's consider the first thing that Jesus did that got him killed. And that is that Jesus accepted bad people. All right, Jesus accepted bad people. Now, Jesus had been going around doing miracles, casting out demons, And so people were coming from all over the place to hear him teach. And we see this in verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. 
And then Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi. And this was probably Matthew. Jews at the time had multiple names. They had nicknames. They had Greek names. They had all kinds of names. So it's probably Matthew. But what's important was that he was a tax collector. And here's what it means that Levi was a tax collector. See, one generation before this, Rome had conquered the nation of Israel. They took over and immediately started taxing them. Now, for our context, that would be like Germany winning World War II, putting a bunch of German generals in charge of us, and then using American Nazi sympathizers to tax us. Now, in addition, Jewish tax collectors for Rome had huge salaries. And on top of that, they charged more than Rome even told them to. So they would make money on top of the money they were already making by stealing from people. And so Levi was rich because, one, he worked for an oppressive government that paid him a lot, and two, because he was actually stealing from people. So, as you can imagine, most Jews really hated people like him. This is the guy that Jesus invited to come be with him. Levi immediately got up from his job and went to follow and to learn from Jesus. And that's verse 14. And as he, that's Jesus, passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the text booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So Jesus walked up to this opportunistic thief, and he called him to himself. And Levi immediately got up and went with him. And Levi wasn't the only bad person to follow Jesus. Verse 15 tells us this. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. All right, it says that lots of sinners were with Jesus, and so that raises a question. What, what does Mark mean here by the word sinner? And the background here is actually in the Old Testament. The Old Testament distinguishes the righteous and the sinner in places like Psalm 1. Now, righteous and sinner were statuses. They're not saying that this person always does righteous things, and that's a righteous person, and this one always does sinful things, and this is a sinner. They're statuses. They meant a person's status from God's point of view, either righteous or sinner. And sinners had that status, and, and people knew that they had that status because of their attitude towards God's Word. They, they didn't love the Bible. They ignored it. They mocked it. Sinners would have included people that flagrantly broke God's commandments like murderers and thieves and adulterers. They thought that God's law was oppressive, judgmental, and backwards. And that's the kind of person that had the status of sinner and that was recognized as a sinner. And that is exactly the kind of person that Jesus chose to hang out with. He was accepting them. These people hadn't cared about God before, and they'd actually really hurt other people. Honestly, this is like Jesus hanging out with a group of pedophiles and neo-Nazis and terrorists. But they had started to listen to Jesus. They wanted to learn from Jesus, and so Jesus accepted them. So listen to verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house... Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. The holy man, the teacher, the miracle worker, spending time with really bad people. Now, we need to say that, that Jesus wasn't just having fun with them. These people were willing to give Jesus a hearing. They actually wanted to learn, and that's why Jesus was there. 
Regardless, some Pharisees saw this, and a little background on the Pharisees. Pharisees were people that took the Bible really seriously. They taught it, and they tried to get people to obey it. And these people that Jesus were accepting, these were the people that had rejected the teaching of the Pharisees. So how do you think the Pharisees felt about Jesus accepting them and them listening to Jesus? Also, verse 16 says this, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the Pharisees believed, as the Old Testament says, that the, the bad company corrupts good morals. And that's true. The problem was they missed who Jesus was. So Jesus responded with this. Doctors came to heal sick people, not healthy people. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So Jesus here was saying, he's the doctor. He's the one who fixes the problem. And that's bold. But he didn't stop there. He said he came from somewhere else to call sinners. He claimed to come from somewhere else to fix guilt. For a mere human to say that would be nuts. It would be crazy, delusional. But Jesus said it. Additionally, Jesus wasn't just calling people that the religious people thought of as sinners. He was calling everybody. And so here's what that means. That God's commands in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament itself, could not give somebody a righteous standing before God. And that raised a really important problem for them, and it raises a really important problem for us now. How does someone get a righteous status before God? And Jesus was answering that question. He was saying, you get a righteous status before God by being with me. In other words, the people that follow Jesus are the people who get the status righteous as a gift for free. Even if they had been the worst people before. And this isn't about a change of behavior. It's about a change in standing. God considers everyone who follows Jesus to be righteous, even though they still sin, even if they'd done really, really bad stuff before that. Even people like St. Paul, the former murderer and blasphemer. And that's because Jesus actually is perfectly righteous in every way. He doesn't just have the status. He actually behaved the righteousness. He did everything righteous. Jesus actually, listen to this, Jesus earned eternal life by obeying God perfectly. Jesus earned eternal life by obedience to God perfectly, even unto his loving death in the place of sinners like you and me. If you trust him, what he did counts for you. God considers you as righteous as Jesus, as worthy as Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus accepts sinners. Jesus accepted bad people. And some people didn't like that, rubbed them the wrong way. It got Jesus killed. So that's the first thing that Jesus did that got him killed. That's got implications for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So if you know Jesus, we need to remember that we are bad people. And 
We need to remember that God replaced that status of sinner with Jesus' status, righteous. Let's thank him for that. And let's tell other people that God accepts bad people. Now, if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus or you don't know, I want you to consider his claims. Are they true? Do you want them to be true? Do you, do you want Jesus' status before God? What we saw is that Jesus here accepts bad people. And that is the first thing Jesus did that got him killed. And for us, that means following Jesus requires identifying as a bad person. And it means identifying Jesus as the righteous one. So let's practice this. I'm going to try something a little weird. So heads up. But if you're willing and you believe it, I'd like you to repeat after me. All right? So I'm going to say something and then I'll have you, I'll have you repeat it after me. And I'll say it twice, too. So let's say, I'm a bad person. All right? I'm a bad person. Now say, God gave me Jesus' worth. God gave me Jesus' worth. Friend, is there any better news? Jesus accepts bad people, and that actually got him killed. Now, here's the second thing that Jesus did in this text that got him killed. He claimed to be unique. He claimed he was really special. So Mark writes that uh, John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees were all fasting, which meant not eating. Um, they were using the time of eating to, to pray and to, to beg God to come be with them, to have mercy on them. But Jesus and his disciples weren't doing that. And so people thought that was weird. So that's verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. It's not a bad question. People who wanted to be in the presence of God actually fasted a lot. And so people were wondering, well, why don't Jesus' disciples do that? And so Jesus answered them with three metaphors. In the first, he, he compares himself to a bridegroom at his wedding party with his friends. And you don't mourn at a wedding. You don't lament at a party. Right? And so verse 19 and 20 say this, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Now in Israel, very godly people fasted to mourn that God wasn't really present with them. They, they fasted to ask God to come and to personally be with them. But Jesus was saying that his disciples couldn't fast because he was with them. I think about that. What's that imply? And Jesus said he would be leaving at some point. And he said that when he wasn't physically there, his disciples would fast. Now, um, this isn't a sermon on fasting, but quick side note. Christians should fast. Um, actually, as I was preparing, I had to kind of go alongside, go to my calendar and put in uh, schedule fasting. I just know if I don't schedule it, I won't do it. So I did that. Anyway, um, the point is that Jesus was there with his disciples. His disciples didn't have to ask God to be there because Jesus was there. 
So Jesus was claiming to be pretty unique. And Jesus gave another two metaphors. They're pretty similar to each other. He said, basically, if you mix old stuff and new stuff, stuff breaks. So that's verses 21 and 22. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. All right. These, these metaphors aren't super deep. It's just saying if you mix old and new material, stuff breaks. Here's the point, though. Jesus was saying he's new. He's unique. He was different from the religious teachers. And this claim to be unique got Jesus killed. Now, here's what that means for being a disciple of Jesus. If you obey the Bible, people will think you're strange. People will think you're weird. I mean, you're here on a Sunday morning. You're not wearing pajamas, most of you, I don't think. You're listening to a guy explain a chapter or so from the Bible. That's odd. If you love Jesus and you talk about Jesus publicly like you love him, and you do what the Bible says, and you don't do the things the Bible forbids, then people will think you're abnormal. And they'll be right. Jesus claimed to be unique. And that got him killed. So if you follow Jesus, be ready to be abnormal. Maybe even disliked. If you're not yet following Jesus, people will think you're weird if you start. But Jesus is better than anything. And so I would just invite you to come in and join the weirdness. This was the second thing Jesus did that got him killed. He claimed to be unique. Now here's the third thing Jesus did that, that got him killed. He said he was the authority over everything. He was the lawgiver. He's the boss of everyone. Now here's what happened. Jesus was teaching his disciples... It was the Sabbath, and they were, they were picking some pieces of grain to eat as they walked. Now, on the Sabbath, which was usually a Saturday, though not always, people weren't supposed to work. They were supposed to worship and rest. Now, the, the Pharisees, therefore, thought that the disciples picking pieces of grain and putting it in their mouths was sinful. So this is verses 20, or 23 and 24. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, all right, the, the Pharisees were stretching that no-work requirement pretty far, right? Jesus could have pointed that out. Instead, what he did was he reminded them of a time where King David broke a, a ceremonial law in ancient Israel. Now, specifically, God had a command about some of this bread that was used in worship that, that people weren't allowed to eat. But God also had commands about you know, not starving people to death. And so when David was faced with that choice between letting his men starve and, and eating this worship bread, he chose to eat the worship bread. So this is in verse 25. Jesus said, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, 
in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. You've got to understand, from an ancient Jewish perspective, everyone loved King David. He was God's anointed king. He was Israel's first savior. He oversaw the start of Israel's golden age. And by, by eating this bread, he broke a less important commandment to obey a more important one. But the Pharisees never leveled any accusations against David. So Jesus was asking them, you're not mad at King David. Why are you mad at me? In other words, Jesus was asking the question, who do you think you're talking to? Jesus was telling the Pharisees, subtly, that he was more important than them. And he was telling them that he was more important than King David. And they got mad. But Jesus didn't stop there. He actually told them they were missing the entire point of the Sabbath law. He said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God made the Sabbath for man's benefit. It was a day to stop working and to rest and to just enjoy God, to fellowship with God, to join in with the people of God and to love God together, to hear about his love, to hear from his word together. That's what it was for. And the Pharisees were mad that the disciples were moving their hands too much. Now notice, by the way, that Jesus wasn't saying here that the fourth commandment isn't good. He was just pointing out what the point of it is. It's the people of God enjoying the presence of God together. The point of the Sabbath commandment is the people of God enjoying the presence of God together. And what were the disciples doing? They were walking with Jesus. They were listening to him teach. The disciples were doing what the Sabbath was actually for. They were, listen to this, they were enjoying God together by being with Jesus. And in case the Pharisees missed that point, Jesus said this. This is verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus claimed to be the authority, the king, the lawgiver, the one who actually makes God's laws. The authority who gives people happiness in his presence. And this claim to ultimate authority is the third thing that Jesus did in this text that got him killed. Well, what does that mean for for the disciple of Jesus? What does it mean for discipleship? Well, if we're already disciples of Jesus, we've already accepted that Jesus is the authority. So let's keep trusting that his commands are actually for our good, for our happiness. Let's, Let's make sure that we're obeying the commands that are actually explicit in black and white in the Bible. And if we've got opinions about stuff that's not explicit in the Bible, let's make sure that we hold those with a lot less zeal and a lot less passion and a lot less love than the commands that are actually in black and white written in the Bible that you can point to chapter and verse. All right? Now, if you're not a disciple of Jesus yet, the point here is that Jesus is claiming to be the boss of you. And he's the boss that uses his power to make his people happy. To, to not submit to this king is to reject eternal joy. To submit to him is to receive it. 
If, if this is something that you want from Jesus, now listen, you kids that are in here too, if this is something that you want, please talk to somebody about it after the service. Ask some questions. Ask how you can have it. Anyway, the third thing that Jesus did that got him killed was he claimed to be the authority over everything. And that brings us to the last thing in this text that Jesus did that got him killed. He kept on obeying God. He could have stopped. He could have paused. He didn't. And it got him killed. And here's what happened. Jesus went into a synagogue, and there was a man there with a, with a withered-up, paralyzed hand. So chapter 3, verse 1 Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. Now, the Pharisees were already angry with Jesus, and so they thought, all right, if Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath, we can actually bring charges against him for breaking the Sabbath law. And and they were in church, so they would have witnesses, and God's penalty in the law for, for breaking the Sabbath commandment was the death penalty. This is in verse 2. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. By the way, as an aside, a lot of people read stuff about Jesus to try to critique him rather than trying to understand what he was actually saying, like these guys were doing. Don't do that. Anyway, Jesus called the man with the withered hand right out. He said, come here. And then Jesus directly charged the Pharisees. This is verse 4. He said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill? The Pharisees wanted to kill. They wanted to kill Jesus. They were trying to accuse him of something that warranted the death penalty. On the other hand, Jesus had come to restore life. He wanted to take damaged people and bring them to the life-creating God. And Jesus was saying directly to the Pharisees, you want to kill. I want to save The Pharisees were silent. And at this point, they could have said, you're right. They could have said, forgive us. And Jesus would have. But they didn't. They said nothing. So Jesus shows us the wrath of God in verses 4 and 5. It says this, They were silent, and he, that's Jesus, looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. The word used for anger here is the word used for wrath, God's wrath, God's future wrath on Judgment Day, just two verses later. It's, it's the word that uh, passages like Colossians 3 tell mere humans that we are to put off. We're not allowed to have this sort of anger. But Jesus is no mere human. He has the right to judge. Jesus' wrath is God's wrath. So why was he angry? He was angry because he was sad. He was angry because he was in pain and anguish. And it's because the Pharisees' hearts were hard. They didn't care about this disabled man. They didn't care about God. And so we see here the wrath of God, and we see here the grief of God and the compassion of God. God's heart is not hard. Jesus' heart wants you to come to him for cleansing, for forgiveness, for the future total healing of everything and the restoration of the whole creation. Well, then what happened? Well, Jesus kept on obeying God. Jesus kept on loving this man, 
and Jesus healed him. So that's verse 5. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Have you ever seen a shrunken, paralyzed hand? And what do you think a reasonable response would be to seeing it restored completely to full health? Instead, the Pharisees responded by beginning their plot to destroy Jesus. So that's verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. The Pharisees hated Jesus so much that they partnered with the political party that they hated the most. This, this would not be like Democrats and Republicans getting over differences. This would be more like a partnership between Antifa and the Proud Boys, or, a, or an alliance of North Korea and South Korea, or a, or a team-up of Yoda and Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> oh, good, you're listening. Um, the, the Pharisees hated Jesus because he kept on obeying God. He kept on loving people. And his perseverance in loving people led to his death. And so this means two things for the disciple of Jesus. First, listen, if you're a disciple of Jesus, it means for you that you are reconciled to God because Jesus kept on obeying. His obedience led him to the cross in our places. His obedience earned him the right to rise from the dead. His obedience is what will give us life and glory forever. Folks, we should thank him every day. We should thank him every time we pray. Jesus' obedience is our life. Second, Jesus' obedience leading to his death does mean this for our discipleship. If people hated our leader, they're not going to be happy with us. 2 Timothy says that we should expect that. 1 Peter says that when that happens, that it's actually God blessing us. And by the way, I'm not giving you the verses because I actually want you to go read the whole book and find it. So, being a disciple of Jesus isn't easy. But he'll never, ever stop loving you. Ever. Just like he would not stop loving this man with a shriveled hand. He will never stop loving you. And the fourth thing that Jesus did in this text that got him killed was that he kept on obeying. Let's, let's wrap this up. Mark 2, 13 to 3, 6 are about four things that Jesus did that got him killed. He accepted bad people. He claimed to be unique. He claimed to have authority over everything. And he kept on obeying God. And friends, Jesus did not anger people by accident. He was planning his own death. He did it to give us his own status of righteous as a gift. He did it to bring us into his own loving authority. So brothers and sisters, let's thank him for the new status he's given us. It's Jesus' status, righteous. Let's be publicly identified with Jesus and be abnormal. Let's trust that his commands make us happy. And let's thank him that his obedience unto death is our eternal life. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus' righteousness, for his everlasting loving authority. Help us to follow him. It's because he lives and is coming again that we pray. Amen.
Let's all stand and worship the one true God.